Yeah, a little bit of a change up here today. Guy Adami, much needed time off here. He's taken a couple of days, but I have Carter Braxton Worth with me for, I think this is the fourth week in a row. Carter, welcome to the market call, buddy. Yeah, uh, so Carter Braxton Worth of Worth Charting, guys. You got to check that one out. You know what goes on here every Thursday at 11 a.m. We break down one of the biggest macro calls of the week. So the macro goings on, and we look at two of the biggest, what we think are the biggest single stock calls by research analysts around the street here. We also have one for the road. We take John Butters of FactSet's Earnings Insight. We get a quick little preview of what he's going to be dropping tomorrow, and we talk about that. But first, first, first here, guys, today's episode of Market Call is brought to you by our presenting sponsors, Fact set, financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow. And of course, our friends, Open Exchange, they manage virtual meetings that matter for the top companies around the world. Car, I am not going to make you do what Guy always makes me do is finish his sentences there. But we thank both FactSet and Open Exchange for presenting this. Let's get into it, Carter. Before we get into the macro call or this kind of macro going on, you know, we had that GDP print for Q3 this morning. We've been talking about it a lot. Expectations were not high. I think it started out the quarter somewhere in the high single digits. They just printed. Um, about 2% or so, which is interesting to me because 2% of GDP was basically the average. I think it was 2.2% in the 10 years prior okay, to the pandemic. And that is 10 years that included very accommodative interest rates, that sort of thing here. What is your quick take on that GDP print? Because it brings me back to a tweet from yesterday by The Daily Shot. And you guys, if you don't follow that, that is a great uh, Twitter feed here. They're basically talking about economists continue to upgrade their U.S. inflation expectations while growth continues to come down here. So are we kind of seeing a kind of meeting of these two things? And what does that mean for markets here? I mean, at the end of the day, you know, we can take our messages from so many different areas. But one of the biggest messengers, of course, is the bond market. And real rates are still negative. Ten-year yields are stuck at 155, 165, basically stuck, not at the 2 and 3% that consensus would have you believe is coming. And yes, the short end of the curve is moving up. But if that continues, you're going to kill this thing off. Uh, I don't think there's anything but temporary uh, inflation. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned that, that, that anything but temporary inflation, because last month in September, you know, we know that we started out the month with a new all time high. And then we had about a five, five and a quarter percent peak to trough decline in the S&P 500. Part of that concern was growth and part of that concern was higher prices. Right. And so we know that there's a name for that. And a lot of investors, um, you know, who don't have gray hair like me and you remember, there's a name for it. It's called stagflation and it's not great for stock markets. And you look at the S&P 500, it's had this kind of ricochet action, if you will. You like to look at the 150-day moving average. The S&P almost got down there, but it also got back up there to the prior highs in almost a straight line in a very short period of time here. Now, we're kind of spending some time consolidating a little bit at those prior highs. What is the S&P chart saying to you right now? Right. So just a couple of things. One would agree, is that an uptrend? Yeah, there's no other way to characterize it. It's moving yeah. from the bottom left to the top right of the screen. Two, we try to measure trend by either drawing trend lines or using an automated trend line. That's what a moving average is. It tracks the 150-day. And what we also know is the stock market, the S&P doesn't go up or down. Individual stocks do, and then the index follows. Meaning that pattern of the sell-off that you refer to and the recovery back to the high 
The S&P didn't do that. The S&P doesn't exist. What did that was individual stocks. We know that Ford sold off and then went back to its high. We know that certain transports sold off and back to their high. And we've seen it, of course, in Microsoft sold off. And so that pattern is reflection. The parts compose the whole. The whole comprises the parts. We're back at the high. Before we really exceed it, we're likely to contend with it and get stuck. Yeah, you had a great report. I think it was last week or maybe early this week on Worth Charting. And you were just setting up, you were showing a bunch of breakouts, a bunch of long consolidations over the course of this past year after some early price action that was very favorable early in the year and then some breakouts. And you were identifying a bunch of charts that might do the same. And it seems like we are kind of in that sort of market where investors or traders are really looking for that sort of action where you can get a big spring off of a lot of tension here. And I thought that was interesting. All right, let's talk about something. You just said the S&P doesn't exist. It's a bunch of stocks. Let's look at bond yields because the 10-year U.S. Treasury certainly exists. And it's something that we spend a lot of time on. I will tell you this, Dom Chu of CNBC tweets out every morning the top tickers from the prior day that are searched on CNBC.com. And when I tell you that nine out of 10 days over the last few months or so, the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield is the top ticker uh, Carter, searched on CNBC.com. That exists. What does it say to you? Because you draw this little chart here. We see this like little triangle formation. We had a breakout. It's come back in, probably for some of the reasons that we just talked about. Investors are very concerned about growth coming in too hard. But if they're also concerned about inflation, wouldn't you think that rates would be going higher right now? You would. And, and, and something else about a formation like this is when you work into the apex of, you can call it a trend, call it a wedge, doesn't matter what you call it, it means that you're getting to a decision point, right? And that basically bears or bulls are about to grab the ball. One thing we do know is if you do break out to the upside or down from a formation, you really need to continue. And so what I'm really saying is if this were to falter, right, yields back down below the red line, Often, not only does it falter, you go back through the other line, meaning you get back below the green line. Uh, There's a message here, and it's that really things are not quite as robust as the upgrades in the economy would suggest. Yeah, and that leads us to this tweet that you had, or also a report that you had. Listen, I'm really leaning on you this week. You know, without Guy here, there's not a lot. There's not a lot going on in here, and I just like to tap into some smarter people than me. Um, but I thought this report was really interesting um, that you had, and you tweeted this out here. Talk to us a little bit about this. This is really the macro call that I want to focus on this week because this was the week that it all mattered. Ten trillion dollars in market cap and the five largest names in the market. Throw in Tesla in there, and you get over ten trillion dollars and they were all reporting and you had some data on here and then let's talk about a little bit of the price action because we also have apple and amazon reporting tonight and i think those are going to be really important especially as we think about markets contending with those prior highs tell me what you were thinking about here when you wrote this and how is it playing out so far? yeah i mean the, the message that we were hoping to convey is simply this that it's a fairly rare circumstance that five largest stocks these five obviously 30 yep. years ago different names report on the same week. It's happened six times in the joint history of these names, Facebook being the most recent IPO. And so what history has shown us is that on the week in question, the market has been down five times an inch once, meaning when the great champions put up, and they've always put up good numbers almost invariably, it almost is a little bit of an exhaustive moment where they've we finally heard from our biggest players that drive the team, and yet the market itself 
doesn't push on. Interestingly, this week so far, we are fairly strong. And as you say, we've got two more to go, of course. We're waiting on the mighty Apple and Amazon. And so we shall see. I think Apple's going to be okay. That's one of the more controversial ones. Google certainly was okay. And I myself made the bet that it wouldn't be. So, you know, you take your shots. I think the important thing is, though, that there's something about a crescendo we know in uh, in music and in life, and you often get to that point on the week when these five all put out their results. Yeah, I think the most important part about that is that look at the ricochet again. I'll use that term off of just above the 150-day moving average. We have a chart of the NDX right here, the Nasdaq 100, and those five stocks that you list—that's nearly 10 trillion dollars in market cap. You know, they make up 45% of the weight of this index of 100 stocks. Now, the good news is that the S&P 500 had already broken out. We just talked about that. The regular way, or the excuse me, the equal weight S&P 500 had already broken out. That's kind of bullish. It's showing that there's pretty good breath in the market. Market, especially as let's say these champions are acting well too but the nasdaq the ndx in particular here carter has not broken out yet it has not made a new high despite these massive moves that we had yesterday nearly five percent higher in microsoft to a new all-time high and the same with alphabet that's right and so it's it's case by case and then it gets to the question of what constitutes a breakout were this to go one dollar one point above its prior high and then drop 30 percent did, was that a breakout that failed? Or So there are rules to all this, uh, maybe a, for another discussion. But the point is that the setups, the circumstances are repeating. This is, this is seen across the market. We know the regional bank index is right back at its high. We know the transports trying to make a new high. And we know the NASDAQ at its high versus, of course, um, the Ecoin S&P, as you mentioned, having made a new high. So each is a shade of itself, a shade of each other. And the principles of charting are applied over and over. Yeah, so here's one principle. I mean, listen, and I kind of bet against this a little bit in Microsoft this week. I just thought that this consolidation above that prior high, while it looks beautiful on a chart, okay, I just thought that it's probably as good as it gets for what they're going to be able to report given valuation and given a whole host of other things. But man, oh man, I mean, that stock opened up after its report and guide, maybe a couple percent and just kept on going. It literally went as high as it could as long as the market was open here. We're seeing today a little bit of a pullback on a better tape so we're seeing money move out of microsoft in that big move it's hard i'm hard pressed to think that if that stock were to come back to that breakout level somewhere around 310 that it doesn't hold there i mean that's a a pretty good setup here you'd almost love to see it if you're bullish pull back a little bit for a reload you sure would you would fill the gap gaps are, are news related so that gap which you can see on the chart where the lowest price on the day that it opens is higher than the preceding day's highest price Uh, That is its earnings beat. But what is remarkable, and again, important, this setup is something that we're seeing over and over, and we'll see it uh, later uh, in a minute here in the next stock. But what we know is breakouts, do you see how it got stuck there for almost seven sessions? Yeah. That's usually the sequence. You get to the high, one. You contend with the high, two, then you exceed the high. All right, well, let's talk about Alphabet here because this one it can, was you know, not at its all-time highs when it reported and the stock really gained a lot of steam throughout the day. And what I found really interesting about the price action of these two names in a down tape yesterday is that it felt like a macro thing. That's why we're kind of talking about this in the macro portion of this. I know we're looking at the stocks individually here, but it really felt like money was just crowding in there. And I wonder, Carter, if this has to do with the rate situation, right? If you're worried about growth and rates are gonna stay lower 
for longer. You want to move into these names that are not cyclically sensitive or as GDP sensitive, and they actually do very well in a low rate environment, which brings me all the way back to Q1 2021 of this year. When rates were moving higher, these stocks were all underperforming. What does that mean to you? And what does this alphabet chart mean to you? Yeah, so if, if we can, here's alphabet. Is there any way to go back to the preceding chart? Just yeah. go back. Okay, now go back. Go back and forth, back and forth. <laughs> Back, no, no, no. Back and forth. Back and there forth. There we go. There now, we go. Back and forth. Back and forth. Okay. Yeah. Is there any difference? There's no difference. That's the point. The setup's the same. It doesn't matter what it is. They can make sushi or soda water or sneakers. It's the same phenomenon. It's been going on for hundreds of years. This one, the key point you made is when it had its news, the news got it back to its high and it stopped versus, right, Microsoft, which was at the high. So the news was allowed it to yeah. But we're contending with the high. It's normal sequencing. And invariably, you typically then go higher. So you'd like to see this one consolidate a little bit, and then you'd like yeah, to play yeah. for a pullback. All right. So, you know, you had me last week. We were talking about things at a discount. You just said the word discount. You said something like discount sushi. No, I don't want it. Just so you know, I have not ordered sushi since you mentioned that. You, got, you, you were up. You were up in my throat. Sushi. No good. No good. No. And I've hit DoorDash on three occasions over the last week thinking, do I want sushi tonight? And then Carter gets in my head. All right. Let's talk about Apple and Amazon. They both report tonight. These are the two big daddies. And what I think is interesting is that Apple last quarter ran into its print, made a new all-time high, and the quarter was just eh. The guidance was eh. We know that the company you know, has a tendency to kind of sandbag a little bit on the guidance here, but we worked our way back from that uptrend here. You see that little downtrend that we drew. You got a nice little green arrow going higher. You think this thing breaks out, and you think we're making new highs very soon? I do. I think the first thing to note is we just looked at three major stocks, right? And they all peak on September 2nd. They all drop October. That's why the market did it. And now the S&P is back to its high. And we know that, of course, uh, Microsoft is through the high. Apple is not quite there yet, but it all nets out as the S&P is at its high. I think you play the ones that haven't gotten there. This is a case in point. Yeah, you know, the implied move, I think, is somewhere about three and a half percent or so in either direction. And that's just tomorrow. And, you know, if you look at three and a half percent higher, you're basically back towards those all time highs. It would take a meaningful beat and raise, in my opinion, Carter. You might see more of the price action like we saw in Alphabet rather than a Microsoft that continues to just go much higher. That's my personal take. The yeah. company has already given some soft guidance about, you know, some kind of capacity constraints and that sort of thing and their ability to make some of these new products. So there's some of the bad news out of the way. I see what you see on the chart too. Um, I'm almost inclined to say, I don't think you have to do anything prior to this print because, you know, the trends that are going to emerge over the next couple of quarters are the sorts of things that you don't have to buy for a gap higher or lower or sell for a gap higher or lower. But let's go to this Amazon chart. They report tonight also. This one really interesting because much less constructive Overall, you could say that's a head and shouldery sort of top with two right shoulders. I don't know if that even exists. And I know that you like to chastise me all the time when I kind of do a number on your charts here. Um, I see that downtrend that you see. I see the support that it bounced off of down there um, in and around 3,200 here. This one, though, had a big gap. And I suspect you think it fills in that gap from those Q2 earnings. The Q3 guidance was disappointing, which means expectations were already lower for this quarter. And if they're able to kind of say a bit more constructive things about Q4 in the holiday season, your view is that this thing is breaking out above that downtrend going back towards those all-time highs. That's right. And so obviously these 
charts all, all five of them. We've done the six-month time frame. Amazon, as all will know, in their mind's eye has been stuck for a year or more, right? So the question is, having had a great advance, gets ahead of itself, and then a great rest, 12 months sideways, is it the pause that refreshes? Is this sideways period, valuation keeps building, and then on its news, it finally gets out of the range it's been stuck in, or is there something defective? Is something wrong? Is it just because of COVID, Amazon did so well? My hunch is it's the former, and then ultimately, Amazon is going to break out of the one-year range it's been in, and on a shorter-term basis, break out above this minor downtrend line depicted in red. Yeah, what I find really interesting about this, and I'll just use your term, the fundamentals are pretty interesting because, again, there's some stuff that's already discounted in the stock near term, and the sentiment is not particularly great, especially relative to these other big uh, mega cap names or so. But again, you know, that July quarter, what I thought was really interesting on that big gap, that was the first quarter of Andrew Jassy as the new CEO of this company here. And I don't know, maybe he kind of like just kind of kitchen sink the quarter a little bit, change the sentiment a little bit. He is definitely going to be putting his own imprint on this company. And I think back to Microsoft when Satya Nadella took over or Google when Sundar Pichai took over. And obviously Tim Cook, when he took over of Apple, 10 years ago, all of these CEOs will go forward and they will put their own imprint on these companies. And it's been really bullish for those um, those three companies. So, so I suspect further consolidation in Amazon, not breaking out above that high, maybe it fills in that sort of gap. But this is a name you want to buy on pullbacks. A few weeks ago, Carter, when the stock was trading around 3,200 on Fast Money, I did what I often do is put my foot in my mouth. I said, 3,000 before 3,400. Well, you know what happened. It went straight to 3,400. I'm largely constructive on the fundamentals here, and I do believe it's a waiting game. So I see what you see near term. I think it sets up pretty good, but I'll just say this. 4% implied move in either direction tomorrow, that gets you back towards just the lows from you know just a week and a half ago or something like that if there was a disappointment and a guy down. It'll be really interesting to take all five of these names plus the next one we're going to talk about a week from now and really try to categorize them as a group. You did a great job of putting them in a bucket in the beginning of the week. Let's see what the whole mishmash looks like together. Yeah, the group chart is important. You can make a, a chart, a line that is equal with five names, 20 names, but these five, I'll put Tesla in six. And there's a message, not only the absolute action, but if you look at it relative to the S&P. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about Tesla. This was a huge one this week. This has been a huge name defying even that sell-off that we saw in September. It barely came in. I know that was probably giving you from a technical perspective um, a little more oomph to kind of be able to continue to say this thing's a buy here. Analysts have been tripping over themselves for it seems like months now to raise their price target. The stock is up 80% or so from its May lows. There was uh, one, Piper Sandler raised their price target uh, today, I think the 1300 from 1200 They just keep going up in $100 increments. It feels like they're saying there are many reasons for Tesla's exceptional gross margin in Q3. These include higher pricing, more localized production, greater scale, and rising contribution from the Model S Plaid. That is the very high end. Goldman Sachs earlier in the week went to 1125 from 905 I think that's where a lot of people were. That was the prior all-time high with their price targets, at least if you had a bullish rating on the stock, setting strong upside potential on the Hertz deal. We're going to talk about the Hertz deal. Um, but, you know, in general, 
Analysts are really mixed on this name. There's 18 buys. This is per fact set, 18 buy ratings uh, or overweight ratings, 11 holds and 12 sells. So there's still a lot of bearishness from the analyst community. Is that how you get the sort of gaps and the breakouts, the runaway breakouts that we see in this chart right here, Carter? Yeah, I mean, what's what's important here is, again, notice how the setups are the same. Right, a great run-up, a great sell-off, a return to the level from which you sold off, and then in this instance, to be fair, it didn't really spend much time contending with the former high. It just yeah. took off. Um, in terms of an upgrade or downgrade, and this is nobody's fault. This house versus that house, J.P. Morgan versus Morgan Stanley Goldman. But I mean, if you have a price target where the stock is, and then it jumps like this, of course you have to raise your price target. What are you going to do? You're you're now you're now behind the eight ball, right? And so here at at ten seventy five. My hunch is that a lot has now happened. You had the news-related pop, and I would actually, and this is a perfect instance for you know either selling calls against a yeah. position or staying long and buying a put, but taking some measures or a risk reversal courtesy of Dan Nathan. But the <laughs> point is, I would do something because everyone knows it's breakout. Everyone's just given their price target move, and eh, now it's probably full. You know what's amazing about that, Carter? You just kind of put a little, like a little pitter pat in my heart right there. You and I sat on a desk on Options Action on CNBC for ten years, and I learned so much about charts from you. So anything that I know about the pictures of the markets, I know from you. And hopefully, you learn a little something about that overriding and the call sales and that sort of thing. But I, what's interesting about Tesla here, Carter, is also that you know the skew towards calls. Usually, you'll see it used to be that people were always paying up for the puts in Tesla. And now they're paying up for the calls. And that says something a little bit about the sentiment. And it also tells you that if you are long the stock and you're looking to kind of reduce some exposure or take in some premium selling calls does make some sense. Or like you say, sell call and buy put and lock in some of those gains. I will tell you this. And, and you know, I try to be constructive at times. I have not because of the price action in this stock in particular. It just seems a bit unhinged from fundamentals. I could be totally wrong on that. But to your point, if this thing were to come back just on general market malaise or whatever you want to call it, back to that 900, you're going to see people reloading like crazy oh, yeah. on that one. That would be a gift and people would likely... Uh... Uh, embrace it with open arms. It's pretty fascinating. A trillion dollar auto company, they have low single digits market share globally, and they literally have 80% of the global market cap of autos. Let's talk about this one really quickly before we move on to some single stock calls. Look at this Bitcoin chart. I know you spent some time charting on this. You had some great calls um, from those highs back in the spring here. Um, the stock, or excuse me, the stock, the, the Bitcoin, which is nearly one and a half trillion dollars in market cap here has just powered ahead here. Um, it did see some resistance at these recent highs. What's your take here? Have I drawn the lines correctly here? That yeah. support level also seems like a gift to the downside, right? right? First, let's talk about the first thing you said was you had a good call in April. That is true. But I stuck with the bearish call in May and June, anticipating a break below those uh, lower lows. Instead, it, it, it's come back to life violently. And here's what I would say. This circumstance now is the equal and opposite moment of June and July. Just as that didn't break down, I don't think it's going to break out. In fact, now you won't get say, what do you mean don't think? It just did. It took out the former high. And that gets to the definition of a breakout. If you go above for a day and then drop 10%, is that a breakout? If you go above for 1%, meaning it's, it's something that's definitive, 
like the Tesla breakout, inching your head above the prior high and then falling back. That's the kid doing 11, 12 chin-ups. Now he's got his chin up on the bar and he falls to the mat. Do we give him that 12th one or do he only get 11? That's not a breakout. That is something that's stuck at a former high. Yeah. Do you do your chin-ups like this or do you do them like this? Well, they're harder like this, as you know. So yeah. uh, you could just do one of each and kind of cheat. You know? All right. Let, let's let's me and you have a chin-up competition. We'll keep, exactly. the, we'll keep the results to ourselves. Yeah, I just do that Bitcoin chart in there because I saw a lot of people on the Twitter earlier in the week before that Tesla breakout kind of, uh, you know, saying how similar the charts um, kind of were. I thought that was kind of interesting. All right. This is kind of related to the Tesla one. And it's also related to your work, you know, this morning. Bank America downgrades Avis. I think they're reading your work at Worth Charting here, and they're just kind of matching some fundamental takes here. This doesn't seem that fundamental of a downgrade. They go from uh, buy to neutral here, setting a less compelling risk reward after a 40% return in just the last month and 345% performance in the stock year to date. What the heck is going on in this car? We know that there were some major weird dislocations because of the pandemic. No one was renting cars. These uh, Hertz and Avis got Got rid of their fleets earlier in this week we had the news about hertz supposedly doing a deal with tesla to buy a hundred thousand model threes here so this is definitely a really interesting space right now especially as we're kind of hoping that this pandemic is in the rearview mirror and people start traveling again yeah i mean uh, look this has been an epic sort of uh, move what we know is that car avis is the best performing stock um, over the past two and three months in the entire Russell 3000. You're talking about a stock that has essentially doubled uh, from 90 to 180 in a matter of five, six, seven weeks. And of course, it's ahead of itself. I would be doing what the Bank of America analyst did too, which was to downgrade. Now, I've done it a different way from a technical point of view. That was the point of the uh, report earlier in the week saying it's come too far too fast. And I, I think that that is indeed what we have. What we do know about something that's a blow off, if you will, or extended is they can often go higher. Look what Lumber did. Look what Moderna yeah. did. But they always end the same way. And so we have a great base. We have a huge hockey stick move. And now we're flirting with the lower band of that tight ascending channel. And I think you break here. Yeah, so it's interesting, though, that, you know, the Hertz really got things going earlier in the week with that supposed announcement. I don't know if there's an official announcement yet. I'd love to see Avis do a deal with, like, a Ford and their EV fleet or something like that. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, the idea that, um, you know, who wants to own these fleets, especially when you have some of those fits and starts as far as like, that we had over the last 18 months. But this Hertz chart looks really different. And this is a bit of a meme stock here. So this is one, I mean, I think both of them have been a little bit. Um, this one, I think a lot of people are skeptical about, um, especially given some of the shenanigans around their, um, you know, their bankruptcy filings. Um, you know, we saw that in the beginning, uh, I don't know, in the summer or whatever. Um, but tell me about this one before we move on to our main man, John Butters, one for the road. Well, that's right. This is a new iteration, right? It's like when we look at General Motors now, General Motors has been bankrupt five times, right? So we're looking at General Motors, we look at something else. Hertz, this is the new iteration. But those lines I've drawn they're not random. Even if you took them away, the sell-off uh, just three, four days ago, look where it stopped. It stopped at the level from which the breakout, the yeah. breakout, excuse me, took place. After, after breaking out, now we're back to that level. You can call it a cup and handle. It doesn't matter what you call it. This is typically resolved up 
And I would take some of my profits out of Avis if I had them. And I'd take some of that money and put it in Hertz. All right. Very cool. If you remember last week, Carter, we talked about Ford a little bit. That's one that I've been long and I've been kind of um, all over. I think it goes higher here. I just think that some of that kind of pixie dust that that is in this kind of EV space right now, especially with Tesla at a trillion dollar market cap, I think GM and Ford, I, obviously they have benefited from that this year. I think Ford is very well positioned. I do have a Ford Mustang Mach-E. That is a fully electric vehicle that I got earlier in the year. And I love it. Um, I think that thing, I think their plan makes a lot of sense here. So to me, I think Ford's also interesting. All right, let's finish this market call out here. We have John Butters, one for the road. It drops tomorrow. It's his earnings insight piece. We thank FactSet for making this available to us. This one was really interesting, okay? He really kind of drills down on a lot of stuff that's sometimes under the hood or under the radar or whatever you want to call it here. But he's saying analysts are raising EPS estimates for the S&P 500 companies for Q4 as the Q4 bottom-up EPS estimate has increased by less than 1%, though, over the first month of the quarter. Um, What I think is really interesting about this is that the fourth quarter will likely mark the sixth straight quarter in which the bottoms-up EPS estimate has increased for the period, but also it's the smallest increase during the sixth and this would make sense here, right? Because we're starting to see growth expectations come down. So analysts maybe are just tweaking up a little bit. They don't want to be behind the, the eight ball if growth were to reaccelerate, reaccelerate. What does this mean to you? What is it? We talked about margins a little bit, I think, in, in One for the Road last week with John Butters. What's this mean to you, Carter? Well, it's not the data, right? Ever. It's the rate of change yeah. of the data. And so what we're seeing here is a clear change in that. And so the issue is, is it because comps are getting harder or because uh, the, the way forward, independent of the past, is not going to be quite as easy? I think it's a mix of all of those things. But rate of change is important. The market, if you see more of this, right, you will start to see it in the general level of the indices. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Let's keep an eye on this because at some point when that goes X growth, that might be an interesting setup for the markets. And that's also with the stock market, not only at all time highs, but also with forward PEs well above their 10 year average here. At some point, valuation will become a concern, especially if we start to see peak margins here um hey listen carter this was a lot of fun time was a lot flies of fun. time I, flies but we are having fun huh buddy guy who yeah guy who all right well ho- hopefully we'll get guy back and well, we have a really next week we have a really special guest again i think liz young from sofi she is their head strategist she's going to start coming on the market call every thursday for a segment that we do to highlight her weekly that's going to be really fun um, to have liz on with us we were all on together last week so she'll be with us next week so check that out carter thank you man we focus on a lot of your work from worth charting um this week it is phenomenal people go check it out at worth charting carter is our main man here also check out i mean guy and i are doing a lot of stuff follow us on twitter he's at guy adami i'm at risk reversal carter what is your twitter handle you know that's a good question <laughs> just just google him and it'll come up carter braxton we're on twitter we're exactly. thank you very much listen man uh, we gotta thank our sponsors at first i listen if you like the financial data that we are using in our market call, the charts and all the other stuff about analysts and obviously John Butters here. Um, check out or subscribe to FactSet's Insight blog. It's insight.factset.com to access more great content like the stuff that we just talked about or we used to put on the market call here. And today's episode of Market Call, as you might have guessed here, was brought to you by our presenting sponsors, as Guy Adami would say, 
fact set. They manage, or they are financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow. And of course, open exchange, they make us look so good and sound so good in our charts pop to life. They manage virtual meetings that matter for the top companies around the world. Thanks to Mike and Brendan behind the scenes and obviously Stu. And thanks to Amanda Diaz, our producer. She's a star. We couldn't do it without her. Next week, we're back. We have Liz Young from SoFi. We have Carter Braxton Worth from Worth Charting. And maybe Guy Adami will rejoin us here. So thank you guys all for joining us. We had a lot of fun. We'll see you next week. Goodbye.